Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the one and only Chris Von Hewen. He was formerly a stud over at Xerox, and now he is one of the first AEs over at Prodigal doing a serious enterprise sales motion. Nick, why should people listen? So there's a void. There's a gap between when you finish your demo and when the customer signs a contract, especially in big enterprise sales. And Chris has this tool, a transformation plan, and a couple other really interesting things that help get you from great demo to great closed one contract. Three, two, one, transformational episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Done deal. So first one is running a jobs to be done customer interview. What was like life prior to your product? What was life like with using your product? How would they sell that to someone else that has a similar title to them? Beautiful. What's number two? Number two, if your customers don't use the words, stop putting them in your marketing and sales material. You 100% need to sound like your customers. So if they don't say like decimate, do not use decimate in any freaking language. They need to be able to self-identify. They can't do that if you sound like some weird foreign entity. So always use your customer's language. I love it. What's number three, Chris? Third one is user transformation plan, which this is basically saying, hey, what does your current and future state look like? Who's involved? Who's signing? milestones, success criteria, what to expect from trial, how does pricing work? Hey, Chris, could you double click on this transformation plan? Step-by-step, what goes into that plan? Yeah, of course. So from a transformation plan perspective, the goal is to have one document that literally summarizes everything. And you're using this to keep everyone on track because we know that we have like five to eight to 10 buyers in a buying process, especially when you're getting into an enterprise deal. So the first part of the transformation plan is compelling reason. Why on God's green earth are you actually talking today, right? They have 10 million priorities, your priority, either one through three. Why are you priority one through three? So it's like, why you, why now? That's the compelling reason. That's the first section. Second section then is current state. So what are the challenges that they're going through that's forcing them to go look for a solution? You want to get the emotions and you want to quantify it as well, because that's going to help with your ROI. Then you want to go to future state. So assuming they've gotten your product, what does success look like? What does that feel like? What does that look like, again, from a numerical perspective? Because that's going to give you your gap of current state versus future state. Make sure you have enough pain to actually go on that whole journey with you. After that, you're going to have milestones. What are the typical steps and processes within your sales cycle? And you need to align that with their timeline to make sure that they have now co-created that timeline with you so you can hold each other mutually accountable to it. After that, you're going to share how your pricing works. So commercial levers and minimums, if that's applicable for you. And then you're going to look at the buying committee. So again, who's involved, what's their roles, and also who's the agreement signer or contract signer, however you want to frame it. You let them know if you're doing a trial, what to expect with the trial outline. So steps, expectations, you're test driving. You're not going crazy off of that because your teams are going to hate you. Your deals are never going to close. And then the last piece is this that you mentioned that you're going to parallel path commercial terms while you're doing your trial. That way you keep your deal velocity going. Chris, how do you introduce this to the customer? Because I'm sure you can't just like show up at a discovery call and be like, hey, here's the document. We're going through all this today. Like, because there's a co-creation element. So can you talk about how you tee that up and, and introduce it to the customer? Yeah. So it's very strategic. So I do my discovery first. Then I do my demo. I don't do disco and demos. I absolutely hate them and I'm not a fan of them. So discovery is one meeting. Demo is a second meeting. Then once you've done like your vendor onboarding, I have actually a workflow meeting since my product is very workflow specific. So that's a little unique to my product, but you need to understand your workflows. Then I actually put everything I've heard from those three meetings together in a transformation plan. So this is prior to the trial starting. And I sit down with them and I then walk them through. Here's everything I heard from you. Now I'm going to have some gaps in my transformation plan. So this is a great way if you're using like MedPick or anything like that. Transformation plan is essentially MedPick, just customer facing document. You can basically cover any holes that you have. And then you can get alignment again and get them to buy in saying, yes, that's right. So I introduce it at that point from before the trial. And then we start having like a UI trial kickoff. So I essentially just use this plan once, but I always give them the link to the document and then they can make any comments or edits as well. So it's an interactive document 
to be honest, most people don't make edits, but actually for some of my enterprise deals, I'm actually getting a lot more edits on that. And that's telling me that we have buy-in or maybe there was misalignment. So I can make sure that I'm running my deals well and effectively. Chris, you mentioned three types of meetings. I think it was a discovery meeting, a workflow meeting, which I've never heard of and one other. Could you give us a sense of what entails or what goes into those meetings prior to the transformation plan? Yeah, of course. So discovery is your typical, hey, what's your world? It's like world building. What are you struggling with today? Can I solve it? Do we have enough like synergy here where this is actually a viable solution for you, right? So typical pain, what are you going through? Get the details, get the confirmation, just make sure that there's enough substance there. So that's why like in my meeting invites, I always say like the first, like, you know, I was putting a general targeted outcomes, but from a discovery, it's just like gain consensus on mutual fit. So that's really the whole point of a discovery in my world is I'm qualifying you, you're qualifying me. Then I go to the demo and I demo based off of the main points that you cared about from the discovery. And I always ask each person that's in the meeting, unless it's like 20 people, then you just use the chat. What are the top three things you want to get out of this demo to ensure it's a good use of your time? And that way I'm kind of reconfirming what you've already shared with me in the discovery. So then you might actually tell me something different that you didn't share with me in the discovery, right? So now I'm kind of building a little bit more. Run through the demo, again, gain consensus on mutual fit. Okay, did you see what I showed? Do you feel like that would adequately address the challenges that you shared with me? And is there enough interest to move forward or was it just an interesting product and you wanted to learn more? I always give them that easy out, right? Because I want them to sell themselves on what they saw valuable in the solution. Again, write all that down. That goes into all of your building. That's your sales marketing material, plus you making sounding like them. They use particular keywords to refer to agents as whatever, collectors or customer success. I don't care the language. You're going to pick up all that nuances and you put that across in all your documents. Then Prior to actually starting the trial, because I have a workflow product, it's a speech analytics tool. So for quality assurance and operations teams, they're mining the conversations that their collectors are making, figuring out where there's compliance issues and where they can collect more cash and perform better. So think of it essentially like Gong or Chorus, but specifically for the collection industry. So I need to understand how are you doing these workflows today? Because we're going to replicate them within our platform. Right? I'm going to show you how you're going to get your savings. I'm going to show you how you're going to reduce your compliance exposure. I'm going to show you how you're going to collect more cash. So that's that workflow meeting. Super nuanced, super nitty gritty, like step one, step two, step three. And then what you can't do today that you wish you could do, because there's a lot of power within the platform. So it's not just replicating what you're doing today. It's also leveling you up to that, that next level. Then I take all that information from those three meetings, discovery, demo, workflow, put it all into the transformation plan, which is essentially just saying, hey, I heard you from these three meetings. Here's what I understood. What did I misunderstand? And let's get anything aligned or fill up any holes I may have because I missed question or whatever, you know, run your med pick, your sales methodology and capture kind of all those missing pieces prior to the trial. So Chris, I've, I've seen people do something similar with this workflow meeting. I think I've even watched, not watched one of Nick's demos, but overheard one of them where he will have the customer driving the demo and he'll literally say, click here, now click here. Is that what you're doing? Are you driving and literally asking them, where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? How do you actually run a workflow demo? Yeah, so that's actually our UI kickoff. So that's when we're doing our trial. Then we actually use their data. They hop in and they drive and we voice over. So the workflow would just be like, hey, Nick, help me understand, like, how do you choose calls to QA? Like, what, what's your process? And he's like, well, Chris, I go into my dialer 
I grab random call recordings. I look for things that are over two to five minutes because I think that's something of interest. I listen to it and I have an Excel-based scorecard and I'm manually filling out everything. And I'm like, so it sounds like you're just kind of randomly hoping that you found something of value. And, you know, basically you're spending a lot of time kind of at levels one or two. So I build a pyramid. I'm like level one is you pulling your call recordings. Level two is scoring. Level three is business insights. And we want to get our prospects to business insights, right? Or business decisions. So I'm like, my goal is to jump you to level three. So I'm just trying to understand what's prohibiting you from getting to level three. So it's not showing a platform in the workflow meeting. It's literally just step-by-step walk me through exactly what you're doing today. And then I'm going to ask a lot of questions so I can show you how we can automate, replicate that, and take it to the next level within our platform. Chris, I want to jump back even before this transformation plan thing happens, because it sounds like the gateway to the customer buying in to the transformation plan and going through a lot of this stuff with you is there's got to be a halfway decent demo and they feel like, okay, this may be able to help us. So can you talk me through some of your best practices for when you get into that demo? I like that question you mentioned. What else do you do intentionally? So I speak about demos in terms of workflows. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see reps make is just a product dump and they don't think like their prospects. So I think like a VP of ops, I think like a manager of QA, if I'm going to be in this platform, what the hell am I going to go do? So walk it through in workflows that I can relate to my current world so I can see how much better this is. I know kind of what their worlds already look like. I'm just reconfirming that my general understanding of the industry is true to them and then understanding the nuances that are unique to them so I can then replicate that. So let's say I got, you know, the VP of operations and I have like a QA analyst, like we're completely different on the spectrum. So senior management usually wants reporting and insights, right? Like think like a VP. They really care about high level, what's going on in my business, trend reporting, outliers, things like that. Like they need to manage to kind of that level. So then I'm like, okay, typically that's going to be the reports and and the trend analysis. And that's actually going to flow into the output that the analyst does. So in my mind, then I try to connect, okay, VP needs the high level executive summary. I'm just going to show quickly how we get to that summary, touch on that summary, not spend too much time on it because we just need to essentially check the box that it's there and that you can drive insights off of it and move. And sometimes if I don't get everything covered, then I will offer to do like quick little videos of maybe some of the key features and send that as a follow-up personally to them saying, hey, I know I couldn't cover this feature functionality you were looking for. I just want to make you a quick video so you can understand it. If we want to reconnect on that for like 10, 15 minutes, let me know. We can have kind of that one-off. So I'll break them out if I can't get to it. But if not, then I'm just going to look for some of those key pieces. And again, put my hat on as an executive, put my hat on as an analyst. What are the key things they should care about? Let's make sure I deliver that. Everything else, make quick two to three minute videos. You're good to go. I know you do some more enterprise sales motions as well, where you might have five, six, seven, eight people involved in a sale. On average, are you doing one demo with the entire room? Are you doing multiple smaller demos and then a big room demo? How many calls showing software do you typically have in a typical deal cycle? Yeah. So usually when it's enterprise and let's define enterprise, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars or more kind of deal. Cause that's typically at least what, I don't know if you guys are seeing different level for kind of enterprise, but we'll just cut the line there. So hundred K and more. Typically it's about two to three demos. So you do the first demo with like the main person that you got, right? Hopefully that's like your ICP and that's a good champion for you. So you got to do the demo for them just to say, Hey, is it worth me sticking my neck out on the line? Then they usually bring in their boss. And so you do a demo for the boss. 
And then the boss is like, okay, bring the squad. So basically it could be about three demos because you got to remember, you got to get their buy-in first because they're speaking on your behalf. That's their reputation. Now they need to go run it by their management and get permission that, hey, this is something of interest. I agree. You know, your executive sponsor. Now the executive sponsor is going to rally all the other parties that this product could potentially affect and make sure that there's group consensus that we see value across the organization. So typically for me, enterprise deals and doing at least two to three demos. Where a lot of people tend to screw up is they go, so you went from the champion to the boss to the squad, which is the right way to do it because you're winning one group of people at a time. A lot of people go from a discovery with the champion to a demo with the squad. And now it's 8v1 and you're getting blown up. But Chris, I see you shaking your head and getting an ulcer just me saying that. How do you, <laughs> no. how do you prevent that from happening? Yeah. So what I typically say is like, look, you know, I want to make sure, like, especially when it's your champion and you got to really know your ICP. Like I know my ICP backwards and forth. So I know when I get to this person within a company, they're the main ones that have gotten all the value because I've done all those customer interviews and, and I know my buyers and I know the other organization, the other groups that are part of it. So I say, look, I like, I know you're going to be kind of the main person here. I just want to get kind of your buy-off and your blessing first before we go for the larger groups. I know some people are like, oh, just bring everybody the first time. Well, here's what happens. They have no context. They got no idea. Your champion hasn't done a little of internal selling for you. So it's a very awkward demo, right? And I'm sure like we've all been on them too. Like I've been on them. Like it's awkward. They're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I just got the invite two minutes ago. I'm like, awesome. So this is not going to really jive and flow well. So I just say like, in order to ensure the best success possible, it's really beneficial just to have you, you know, do the demo first. You can give a little context to your colleagues. So that way they're not just cold out of the blue, getting a random invite from a random guy they don't know. And then we can keep building it that way. So that's normally how I kind of lay the context if that situation comes up. You're doing it in a way where you're telling your champion, hey, I know you're going to be my champion and I want you to feel comfortable with what we're doing before we bring everybody else in. That's one way to empower your champion. One of the most important things in an enterprise cycle is having a good relationship with one point person at the company. Do you have any other best practices for building that relationship or enabling your champion? Yeah, I think you really got to figure out what do they have to gain or lose? Like, again, put yourself in their shoes, right? What do they stand to gain by getting this piece in? Um, what do they stand to lose by keeping with status quo, right? Because like they're aware at this point that status quo is not good, right? It works, but there's a difference between working and, and being good, right? Many things work that aren't good. So I think you really need to understand like what's in it from them as far as like the value and benefits it can bring to the organization because they're speaking on your behalf, not their reputation. After the demo is done, I usually walk high level like, hey, here's our typical sales process. We're going to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, boom, 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 boom. Here's all the support you're going to get from me because I've been in your shoes. Like I used to be a financial analyst. I use that all the time. Like I used to be a financial analyst. So I've done the ROI calculations. I've done the internal pitching and selling. I have a whole process deck already built out for you. We're going to walk step by step through it. So I just actually walk them through the rest of the process after the demo, letting them know that they're going to have guidance every step of the way. I just ask, like, does that align with how you buy software? And then they'll tell me yes, no. I'm like, okay, does that sound like you're going to be supported in a way that you're looking for? So I kind of ask in a little more indirect way because no one's really going to say like, I'm like, hey, you know, what's your fears and concerns? Like, who's really just going to be blunt, honest and be like, oh, blah. So I mean, again, it's not how we communicate in our personal lives. Why would we do it in our professional lives? So I think that's where walk them through, 
let them know that they're going to get support every step of the way. And then ask them, does that align with the way that they're buying or what they're looking for from you? And they'll come back and tell you yes or no. So Chris, you can sort of swag your way through like a mid-market sale, but it's very clear you have an enterprise sales process, but you came from Xerox and like you don't have a traditional enterprise SaaS background at all. How did you learn all this stuff about like the transformation plan and whatnot? Did you just listen to podcasts? Did you download a transformation plan template and then just use it for prodigal? Like how'd you actually figure this stuff out? Yeah. So funny thing is like Xerox is actually very enterprise sales because I had deals north of a hundred thousand. You know what I mean? So it's the same freaking thing, if not harder, because I'm delivering physical equipment and you have to go get leases from banks. So that's a hell of a process right there. But just in general, so the transformation plan came from mutual action plans that I saw from enterprise sales, but I thought that they were very dry and boring. Right. And then I looked at MedPick. Um, so M-E-D-I-P-I-C-C or however it is, like the full-blown one. I looked at that and said, how can I put that into a Word document that's customer-facing that makes sure we get everything? So I literally took the mutual action plans plus MedPick, blended them together in a transformation plan. And then each company I've been at, so I've started using them at Xerox. That was the first time I started using them. And then here at Prodigal, I just took it and kind of continued to modify and improve it. But it's just a Google Doc. You make, you copy over your prior transformation plan. And typically, again, like when you know your ICP, the challenges are essentially going to be very similar. They'll just be subtle nuances and things. So then it's just kind of like, you can kind of reuse a lot of the information that you already have. Because I mean, think about your product. You usually solve like top three really compelling pains, right? Like if someone says they solve 10, I'm like, BS. There's three that usually make it or break it. So focus on those three. That's usually what you're going to hear anyways. And you can add some subtle nuances and colors to customize it for each prospect. But again, like 80% of it is a rehashing of all the prior ones that you've done. So what do you do? I guess there's times that the transformation plan gets like knocked off kilter. Like they've communicated a timeline to you and then that timeline gets blown up or they've said, all right, here's sort of the steps that we have involved in this. And then they just start like throwing stuff that's not part of that original plan. What do you do when the customer sort of calls an audible? Yeah, I mean, I think two-part question. Like that's that's why it's so important to have that scope meeting and really figure it out, but they don't know what they don't know. Like if they've never bought your platform before, you need to understand that. So if they're switching from a competitor, the scope shouldn't really shift at all. You should not have any scope creeps. They're already using a competitor. They already know what they like and don't like. Boom. So that I don't really foresee scope creeping. I would actually push back harder on them because they're already using a similar product. If it's a first time buyer that's never bought your product, they don't know what they don't know until they get into the platform. So then I usually give a little more leeway there. And I just make sure that the requests are reasonable. So if they come back and ask for 10 things, I'm like, look, the way we keep this complimentary is we're looking to check the major rocks. So a major rock was this, you know, it was whatever, accuracy. Uh, another one was automation. The third one is reporting. Now you're adding like maybe a sub rock under reporting, but like, help me understand, like, why is that, you know, this extra feature really going to make it or break it? If we've checked the major rock on reporting, then making another report is just time, right? Time and resources. So I kind of push back and really ask them, like, what are we truly validating? And is it new or is it just a slight pivot from something we've already done? And a lot of the times it really is just a slight pivot from what we've already done. And that's where we can agree, like, look, to keep the trial complimentary, we're checking the big rocks. We have it noted down that we need to go make this for you. I'll make that complimentary once you sign, go live with us. Can we say that that's a fair agreement? 
And I think just having that candid conversation, or they'll tell me like, you know what, Chris, that's non-negotiable. Like, I definitely need to have this. Okay, help me understand why. And then they'll list out exactly the concerns. I'm like, okay, so if we do this, will this then address your concerns? Yes, I just did that like two days ago in an email with a prospect. They did ask for a little bit more. And I was like, it was a valid ask. And I'm like, yep, fair enough. We got to deliver on that because you're going to have hesitation in signing. So I don't want that. And so this time we did it. But I think you did that one-off conversation and then make a judgment call. You moved into the transformation plan and the trial's gone well. And they said, all right, Chris, you got a deal. Send us the contract. Well, you know, the deal's not done yet. They're probably going to try and negotiate with you. Can you talk through some of your like principles and best practices related to negotiating one of these enterprise deals? Yeah. So in my transformation plan, I already have all my commercial levers there. So you send over your list pricing. I know you're going to ask me for a discount because you always do. It's enterprise. So then I say, and actually I parallel path my commercial terms and my trial. So day one of trial kicking off, I also send the contract over with all the pricing. And I set a commercial terms negotiation meeting on day 11. So after my second check-in, I set my commercial terms meeting. I've had two check-ins, so I have some good indicator of how successful or not the trial is going, right? And that's usually at that point where that decision maker will want to sit down with you because then they have enough skin in the game and enough feedback to really make a decision. So then it's just going over that. And if they're going to start asking for discounts, you then it's a Todd Capone's transparency sales. So he has like four or five levers. I've made different levers for my own business, but you get the principle. You want a discount? Cool. Then if you want, give me the percentage discount you want. 30%? Great. I can give you 5% for an additional year. So if you can do a three-year contract, that's 10% off. If you can pay up one year upfront, that's another 5% off. If we can agree to sign by this date, that's 2.5. So I can get you roughly to 17.5. You said yes to everything. Boom. We then reconfirm all that in an email and we move forward. So I think you just got to, you got to contain your negotiation conversation. I think that's the biggest mistake I see a rep make is they just start giving up price and they get nothing in return. You know, they counter it because then you got to really see like how serious are they on the discount? Are they just asking to ask? Here's what I say before you even get into the negotiation conversation and get that nuances. I say, look, the thing that I ask for you is let me know that I'm your vendor of choice and tell me why I'm your vendor of choice. That way I can sure align it. Because if we're just kicking tires before we've said that you're, before you told me I'm the vendor of choice, to be frank, I don't see that being a good use of everyone's time. And it's just not resulted in successful completion of you know a sale. So I need to make sure that we're your vendor of choice. And then at that point, that gives me the leverage I need to go fight for you and make sure we get the best terms possible. Well, Chris, final question for you is this. So we've talked about a ton of really good things that folks can incorporate into how they sell, but now we got to flip that on its head and talk about a bad thing. So I'm curious to learn from you. Do you see a bad habit that a lot of sales reps exhibit that you think they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the sales desperation where you don't want to DQ and walk away from a deal. Like, I feel like we get into the deal, like every deal is going to work. Everyone's going to sign. Like, even if you don't fit my ACP, even if like it's a fringe use case, we don't really do. Like, honestly, the best thing you can do is stay in your lane. Like I chased a couple of deals that were not within our ICP that were just not like they were on a fringe use case, burned through a lot of time. They didn't sign. So I think that's the number one thing, like stay in your lane, know your ICP. If they're not a fit, DQ early so you can go find companies that are because we, we don't get time back. So if you know it's not going to work, I understand you want to sign everybody. It's not reality. Find people who are your fit, DQ quick, and just, you got to let it go. <laughs> like you got to let it go. It should go crazy. Beautiful. Chris, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? 
Um, I say, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's just the easiest way to get a hold of me. And, you know, happy to, to chat with anyone if they have questions or they want me to explain something a little bit better that, that we shared on the podcast. Everybody go connect with Chris, send him a nice in-mail or a connection request and stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Chris Von Hewen include, number one, ask each person one by one in a demo, what are the top three things they need to get out of this call? Number two, you've got the champion demo, the boss demo, and the squad demo, and they need to flow in that order. Do not go from the champion discovery to the squad demo. Number three, you can take the mutual action plan and a mix of that and med pick and that gives you your transformation plan, focusing on everything from their current state to their future state, to exit criteria for the trial, to running commercial terms in parallel. And then lastly, number four, on that note, you have to parallel path commercial terms. The moment you have a trial, you should be sending them that contract with pricing and the options outlined. All right, Nick, how can people help us out? There is a small button that I would like the audience to click today. It's called subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, subscribe on Apple. If you're listening on Spotify, subscribe on Spotify. But it will warm my heart to the very core if you subscribe to our show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? 
Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.